I have a dear friend called Gareth. And Gareth uh, uh, came up to Scotland from England, a really exuberant, likable youth worker kind of guy. And he had um, been uh, uh, put into a role in really a declining church that had a whole 15 members. And he was uh, being uh, tested by his denomination to see uh, whether he had what it took to transition from youth work into senior leadership of a church. Well, when my husband and I met him, there was a sense of there's something about him and he knows he's got something about him, but he wasn't really sure the, how the call of God on his life was actually going to manifest. Anybody go, I know that feeling. I know I've got something about me and I know I've kind of earned some good points in what I've done, but I don't understand how the fullness is going to turn up in my life. And he hit a moment, two moments of extreme courage at the right time. And just as his church was losing their building, because there were only 15 of them, he decided in a moment of extreme boldness that he was going to look for not just a new premises, but the biggest vacant premises in the whole of the city of Dundee. And do you know what? An insurance company who had left their premises handed into Gareth's hands the most monstrously sized building that the 15 of them squir uh, squirreled away, kind of filled half a cupboard. And the insurance company said, we're going to pay your rates. We're going to pay your, your water. We're going to pay your ground maintenance. We're going to pay your electricity building. And all you've got to do is turn up. And that guy in a moment of going for the absolutely ridiculous was spectacularly blessed by God. And he started to pull lots of charities into this center. Well, then he had another crazy, courageous moment. And when he saw the refugee crisis that was happening uh, in particularly Calais, he decided to fire off an email asking for uh, blankets and food and resources to ship to Calais, thinking he might have a bin bag's worth of stuff. Well, that guy became the largest receiving center of aid for the refugee crisis in the whole of the United Kingdom. He had multiple tons of stuff coming into this depot in Dundee, into this massive building. He has sent container lorry after container lorry, a guy who just had something about him but hit ridiculous moments of courage. It's the same as uh, a little lady in the uh, Australian, um, uh, uh, Australian small time who uh, had a brothel move in uh, to her neighborhood. And she was talking to Danielle Strickland, one of the captains in the Sally Army, and they wanted to see the brothel closed down. And Danielle said to her, do you know, what would you do if any other neighbor had moved in, if they hadn't been prostitutes? And she said, well, I would bake them cupcakes. And so this little lady baked cupcakes for the brothel. And she knocked one day with great trepidation, but a courage had taken over her somehow. And the pimp was so disarmed by the smell of the home baking and by her diminutive size that he kind of accidentally let her in. 
And she started a cupcake ministry into the brothel. And every single one of those girls got saved. And it started an international ministry that the Salvation Army picked up of home baking to save prostitutes. Little moment of courage. I remember my own moment of courage when it came to prophetic evangelism. I was shoe shopping. That is a very godly and noble pursuit. And uh, I, the Lord said to me, I want you to go and speak to the woman behind the till. And I didn't have anything to say to her at all, actually. Um, uh, but I went and, and joined the queue. And suddenly, in a God-orchestrated moment, the checkout operators either side shut their tills down and disappeared off. The queue behind me evaporated, and I was left with this little lassie by myself. And I had a choice. Would I stretch out uh, my courage and my hand towards this woman with what God had put in me? And I said to her, my name is Emma. I'm a prophet. I hear from God. How do you know that's going to be an interesting conversation starter? And uh, it's how I introduce myself normally. And I said, the spirit of the Lord says, I had no idea what was going to come next. But God had told me, so I thought I'd better make a start. The spirit of the Lord says, you're going to be a very good mum." And she burst into tears and she said this, I have just found out that I am pregnant. I have told nobody. I have booked an abortion for this Thursday. I prayed for the first time this morning in years that God would show that he was real and turn up and show me what to do. And she said this to me, if God says, I'm going to be a really good mum. I'm going to ask to be let off my till right now. And I'm going to go and I'm going to cancel my abortion. And that is exactly what she did. A moment of courage. And I think there's so many stories to, that we could tell, but let me get to the point here. I think it's the same in Nehemiah 1. Here is a man, one of the great prayers uh, of Scripture in Nehemiah 1. And the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. The people are in trouble and in great disgrace. And he's a guy moved with compassion, moved to pray. He weeps uh, uh, over uh, his city. But in the end of chapter 1, he says this, and I was cupbearer to the king. His heart had connected with the fact that there were issues that needed addressed, but he states the place of his limitation. I am the cupbearer of the king is like saying, I feel the pain of my people, but actually I am disqualified to do anything about it. And then in chapter 2, he hits this glorious moment where he gets this eyesight that he has a super clarity moment where he sees, actually, I'm the one who can do something about that. And suddenly he is more than just a man with compassion. He is more than a man with just a prayer. He is more than a man with a thought of what cannot be done because of who he is. He is a man with a courageous boldness that is setting him on fire from the inside. And actually the king says to him, what do you want? And he says, oh, oh, I would like to go and see my people. And then suddenly he says, I would like safe passage to go and see my people. Oh, hang on a minute here. 
I would like all the resources of wood to rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. And I don't think he went into that room knowing that he was a man with a plan, knowing that he was the solution. I think courage and the word of God got hold of him at a key moment and suddenly what spewed out of him was a solution for the nation. And one of the uh, uh, senior leaders in Scotland who speaks at the, many of the New Wine Summer Weeks said this to me recently, there is a national deficit of courage. And the 18th century Moravian monastic order, they were the uh, group who were radically focused on visible community. They took vows as any monastic tradition would do but they also made promises to each other. And they would promise to be courageous and have each other tested on it. James, how have you been courageous this week? Tell me how you're doing in the courage scores. That's the kind of thing that they would say. So I want you to close your eyes for a minute for me. And I want you to score your own courage and your own boldness levels out of 10. Can we have a door open or a window open? If it's possible without disturbing neighbors before we all get too sonnered. And then when you've got your score out of 10 for how bold and how courageous you are, can you say to, the, to God this, God, is this a true score? God, what is your take on that score? How do you score me, God? Does your score of my courage and my score of my courage match up? God, ask God this question, God, am I getting more courageous or am I getting less courageous? Am I getting more courageous or am I getting less courageous? So open your eyes for me. How do you feel about what you heard? Oh, you're a responsive lot, aren't you? So we felt good. Anybody feel like, I am so 10 out of 10 on boldness? <laughs> Who feels like, man, I have room for improvement right there? Okay, <laughs> good stuff. We prophesy over um, thousands of people. My staff have done 20,000 man hours of personal prophetic ministry. They're real experts at what they do. Some of our prophetic words... Uh, they go to 60 countries every day, the written ones, multiple millions in the earth. And I often think, why do people repeatedly want prophecy? Uh, and I know that we're supposed to wake up in them what God has already put in them. We're supposed to remind people what manner of person they are. But I actually think increasingly that people come to the prophets because they want the minute detail. They want the nanny state hand-holding version of prophecy 
when actually what they should be partnering with is the boldness and the courage to begin what is already inside them. And your courage and your boldness should start to operate where you are, as you are right now. And I hear so many stories of people whose character is very sufficiently formed. Isn't that a nice thing to have character sufficiently formed? Whose gifts are developed, whose knowledge is quite refined, who have actually learned very successfully through the processes of their life. And yet they seem to be held in these ever decreasing depressed circles of waiting for something to shift. And they are looking for a key. And I want to tell you that they are not waiting on God as they suppose, but God is waiting on them. And all they lack is an internal courage explosion. And let me be very blunt with you because I'm Irish and I'm a prophet and both of those are blunt things married together in me. God cannot use people he has to convince all the time with detailed information. Did you get that? God cannot use people who he has to convince all the time with detailed information. And the principles of God are that you move forward with courage into the things that God only gave you a small revelatory glimpse of and then your courageous faith is backed up by your God. God is looking for people who will trust him. And provision to fund what God has put in you waits for courageous obedience before it's released. Did you get that? Provision to fund what God has put in you waits for your courageous obedience before it's released. And in my personal reflections recently, I came back to Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. What does that say? Come on, you should know this off by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path or make your path straight. And I was just there because I wanted a straight path over some things personally. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just need a straight path for a moment or two. And the word in the Hebrew for trust is the word batak. And its first meaning is to be bold or to be confident. And so you could paraphrase that, be confidently bold in who God is and what he has shown you to do. Do not think you know it all or you need to know it all and then God will make a way for you. In fact, sometimes our lack of strength in an area excites heaven because it leaves a gap that only God can fill. Tim Hawkins, the comedian, uh, Christian comedian, I caught him on the internet recently singing uh, children's songs for the atheist megachurch. Well, I didn't even know atheist megachurches existed. (laughs) 
But he was singing this, and forgive me, I'm in a room of musicians, but I'll give it my best shot. <laughs> no one loves the little children, all the children of the world. No one hears you when you cry, no one sings a lullaby. No one loves the little children of the world. And then he sung this. Evolution, this I know, for Charles Darwin tells me so. Accidentally alive, if you're weak, you won't survive. <laughs> and it kind of slapped me in the face. Is that what I think, God? That in my weakness, I'm such a disappointment. In my weakness, I'm not going to survive the call of God on my life. That that weakness and that issue that I face over and over that fills my thinking means that I cannot do the very thing that you've actually asked me to do. And I feel like God is saying, do not let the weakness that I actually allowed to come into your life stop you moving forward. Don't let the bank balance set the tone of your decisions. Don't let your weakness set the tone of your decisions. Do you know, um, uh, I'd never know the bank account of Glasgow Prophetic Center, the balance. I let my husband and some of the other trustees do that. Why? Why is that my personal choice? Because if I know the bank balance, I will not do what God has told me to do. I will do what the bank balance says. And God is asking for your courage to come up some levels and let it start to remingle with the God-given revelation that you already have and to let your courage and your revelation be the decision-making tone, not your finances and your weakness. And God wants a harvest from your life. He wants to make a withdrawal on what he put inside you. Actually, one of the prophets from America rung me up, left a message on my voicemail recently, and it said, God wants to harvest from your life, and he hung up. That's all he said. And it so wormed its way under my skin. God, I am not going to hold back, and I am not going to be silent, because if I am, my God will not get the harvest that he's due from what he put in me. And every time I feel like giving up, every time I feel like shrinking, I think about the joy of giving my life back to God so he can have his harvest. And I want to speak over you. It is time for some of you to begin some things afresh. It is time for you to birth the businesses and the ministries that are in you to birth. It is time for a fresh boldness to come forth for you. It is time for what God has put in you to no longer be hidden. Back in the days of the American Wild West, there was a little blue river just on the border of Kansas and Missouri. It was the last safe place to stop, just 20 miles 
before the end of civilization and the intimidating wild plains of buffalo and Indians. And 20 miles from this Blue River, you could start a new life, panning for gold, herding cattle, and learning the new skills of being a cowboy. And the aim was to come to this camp and regroup here and then strike out for Santa Fe. And Santa Fe was 700 miles further. But Santa Fe was the land of opportunities. It was the place of finally arriving. It was the land only extreme pioneers reached. And that area became known as Blue Camp 20. And the wheels of heavy wagons and the thousands of hooves and the generations of people wore deep ruts into the land at Blue Camp 20. And by the 1850s, Blue Camp 20 was a well-established staging post, amenities, drugstore, American saloon, salon. How do they say in America? Saloon. There we go. And Blue Camp 20 then needed a new name. And the pioneers who had once wanted to go to Santa Fe, but had stopped and had camped out, renamed Blue Camp 20, Little Santa Fe. And they had pioneered partway. And they had renamed it Little Santa Fe because it was just too hard to keep going. And they had allowed the illusion of a new name to come to them to think that they had actually arrived. Oh, this will do right here. I'm so weary and I've pushed so hard in my life and I'm going to call where I am locally effective. I'm going to call it excellent. I'm going to call it authentic, but actually it's a shrunken place. It's a relegation of your old vision. And somehow in some of our journeys, we have lost a confidence that we used to have in God. And perhaps because we now realize that actually we don't talk to dolphins like we thought we would do when we were six, and we're not all astronauts on the moon, we have somehow lost or put onto our old extreme language the label naive talk. On the other hand, sometimes we are so successful that we get easily deceived that our programs work so well and it keeps us in little Santa Fe. If God died would what you do keep on working? And sometimes the worst thing that can happen to you is success because it keeps you shallow and shrinks you from going to the deep places that you have actually been called to go to. And something in you has to rise up tonight that says, God, you got me this far. 
God, I thank you for every moment that was done, for the outrageous success that I had and the learning and the pain that I also walked through. But right where I am right now is not the real Santa Fe. I have got to pick myself up and I've got to shift another 700 miles. And most leaders tragically only ever pioneer one thing. And then they live in the afterglow of its success. And maybe we need to take back our childlike language. I'm going to take Scotland for Jesus. And the battle for the next epoch of time for the church. Let me tell you this. It is not in how evil our culture is and the darkness over the earth and how we do there. The battle for the next epoch of time is not going to be won or lost in your fighting of the enemy. It is going to be won or lost in your heart. Especially the heart of the leaders. And you've got to lay a hand on your own heart and say, God, you've got to give me back my godly ambition. You've got to make my heart stronger. You've got to give me back my godly imagination. You've got to give me back my godly creativity. I need the wild entrepreneurial spirit and that passion that I used to have that I heard and I read in the stories of the saints and the greats of the past. I need that back in me, God. And I think there is still the desire of Anna and Simeon who don't want to be on the Christian conveyor belt, but they stay in the temple persevering into old age for the fulfillment of what they are called to be. And in us there is the heart of someone who will just not go home. Who will pledge that where we have been, oh, it is most excellent. But where we are going is worth the cost of the journey. That we might stand like Simeon in our old age and have the moment like him where we too can say, my eyes have seen the salvation of the world. My eyes have seen the thing happen that I was made to see happen. Stand with me for a moment, just for a moment, because I've got more to share with you. But I just want you to start to repent where you have lacked courage and you have lacked boldness. If when I scored you, you were not a 10 out of 10, then you've got to start some repenting right now. I wish I could do that for you, but unfortunately, repentance is your bag. So, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I am so sorry for my timidity, for my shyness over some situations, for my lack of courage, for my introspection, for my eyes that wear on me. Oh, God, I want my courage score to be a 10 out of 10. Come on, you tell him. You let that prayer pour forth from you.
put your hands right up in the air, high up in the air for me, my lovelies. Come on, family. Let's do this together. And I want you to grab hold of courage that I am loosing. So I loose a boldness over you right now in Jesus' name. Grab hold of it. Grab hold of it. I loose an infectious courageousness to you right now in the mighty name of Jesus. That you would have your Nehemiah moment. That you would have that moment where what pours from you is not what you can't do, but who your God is and what you can do. And I loose courage in the room and boldness in Jesus' mighty name. Look to your neighbor and say, courage is who I am. I am really bold in Jesus. I'm going to do mighty exploits. Then give somebody a hug and have a sit down. Tell me this, if I was to ask you for a list of things that you value in the church, I wonder what would be on that list. Intimacy, bridal, signs, wonders that come from intimacy, worship, prayer, encounters with God. Is that just my own list? Anybody want to nod, cheer me up, nod at me? Family, okay. How much do we value authority to get things done? That striking out capability that courageously with God makes things happen. Or do we have that mindset, nobody likes to show off. I'll keep your feet on the ground. Don't you forget your roots. Don't you get too big for your boots. In Exodus 19, verse 6, we see this theme, and it's repeated throughout the Scripture, that we are a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests. And you understand that that's about ministering to God. And Peter comes along, and he overturns that, and he adds to it in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. And he says, but you're a chosen people. And he doesn't say you're a kingdom of priests. He says you're a... A holy nation. Tell your neighbor you're a royal priest. And that royal priest is that outward looking kingly authority and courageous boldness, but also with the intimacy attached. Royal priest. And I want to tell you that God is making a super move on the earth today, and it doesn't look like we thought it might. We thought it would t- Jesus would turn up on a white horse and rescue us all, and we would do nothing. But the Lord is saying, my super move is that I make you potent, and I make you royal priests. And most of us in our dull waiting for Jesus are battled with more boredom in the church than we could possibly take. Same old, same old. And some of us now feel allergic to boring church. And I tell you, there are days where even I've said, uh, said in the more Sunday mornings on my own church, if I wasn't preaching, man, I wouldn't bother to turn up. <laughs> and we are looking for a fresh anointing. 
we are looking for something that will really come upon us, that will enable us to take our place as a co-laborer with God, where we act out our power and authority and don't absolve ourselves of responsibility waiting for Jesus. And I believe that there is a new anointing that I am to release to you today. Sometimes when a prophet travels, we, we, we prophesy to the individuals. We prophesy to hearts. Sometimes God asks me to go into a region and just loose this over an entire region. So as I come to do it, I'm going to just explain it to you. I want you to grab this for every Christian you know in this region and every church leader in this region that Manchester might shift forward as one in the new anointing that God wants to give. Can I tell you what I'm about to tell you now? I have waited a lifetime for God to be able to, to God to release me to be able to preach this. It is so significant. So slap your neighbor gently and say, you need to listen. Come on. Gently, gentle slaps. <laughs> okay. Here we go. I believe that God sends particular anointings to generations. And two generations ago, about a hundred years ago, we entered the anointing in the earth of Saul, King Saul. He was a warrior. You didn't mess with Saul. He actually, though he gets a bad press, brought Israel to a place of great strength. He was a man chosen by God. We read he was taller than anyone else. And I believe that the leaders who rose up um, post Azusa Street were mantled like Saul. They were highly gifted, but boy, was there a lot of crazy stuff going on. Massive gatherings, often around an individual. You'll read the stories of the big tent meetings all around one named person. And actually, it kind of lingered on and became our model even into recent times, where revival looked like it was going to be about one man doing a particularly good job. And their anointing was undeniably strong. In fact, there were remarkable things that happened. But sin was also rampant. Arrogance, stubbornness, letter of the law, legalism, and a whole bag of sexual misconduct. And God eventually called time on that anointing in history. And he said, yes, you know how to war and you know how to be anointed, but actually you lack the intimacy with me that guards your heart. And then God shifted the anointing in the last 50 years to be a Davidic anointing. And everybody in the last 50 years has been talking about Davidic anointings in the house of David and schools of David. And that has been a key focus. And God layered warrior capabilities with intimacy capabilities. 
And like David in these last decades, we have known to be after God's heart. It is culminated in things like the Toronto blessing and the truth of the Father heart revelation. But it has also seen an awful lot of deliverance ministry. The Lester Summerls were raised in, in that last generation because it was David who knew how to do personal deliverance ministry. Remember, he plays and Saul gets uh, uh, healed. And that's all brilliant. But at the end of David's life, you come to 1 Kings 1, and it says this, David could not keep warm. He got no heat, or got no heat, as the AV says. And I want to say this, if you have been through a frustrated season of leadership where you felt you could not get traction, where what used to be red hot and worked for you was not working, like your leadership got no heat, you are in the right place today. And to try to solve David's problem, he was bought, brought a Shunammite maiden to keep him warm. Who's the Shunammite? Where else is she in Scripture? Song of Songs. She's the woman that Solomon writes of in the Song of Songs. And we read that David did not sleep with her. In other words, there were some relationships and alignments and connections that will not work under your previous anointing. But the anointing that you're about to get released to you tonight in a new season will give you the ability for the networks and the relationships and the open door connections that you need to advance. And God is saying you need to go back to some connections, some business deals, some networks, and see a new relational grace come upon them. And God is going to enable covenant connections to be established that couldn't get established before. God is going to send to you who you need around you for your own heart's well-being and for the well-being of what he's putting you to see accomplished. And so God is moving us in, in this generation, we're just uh, crossing over into it, a Solomonic anointing, a Solomon days. And what we know from scripture is that the days of Solomon were the most remarkable glory days of the people of God. And God is layering anointings. And he's saying, you understand war and you understand intimacy, but I'm going to drop four things, four things into your lap that you are going to receive that will transform you. Now, what is the first thing that Solomon gets? Wisdom. We could just dine out right there. But I want to go somewhere else. The second thing is an ability to build and an authority to build. Say to your neighbor, you're about to get an authority to build. You see, David has bags of authority, but it wasn't for building. 
It wasn't for establishing a structure or a framework. In fact, David could always be sure, you always call on him, if you wanted to make a bloody war happen, if you wanted to kill everybody, then that was the authority that he had. But actually, he couldn't build anything because he had blood on his hands. And God is saying to you today, You have tried to do some things and you have tried to build some things. But right now when you get the Solomon anointing, there will be an authority to build like you have never known before. I think that's the most remarkable prophecy and I have done this for years. The most remarkable word that I have been desperate for All my days, and even my father and his grandfather and my uncles, who are all clergy, come from a long line of of Bible teachers, that we all wanted the authority to build. Am I talking to anybody? I think I'm more excited than you are. The third thing is this statesman or kingly anointing. When David killed everybody, Solomon is the ultimate statesman. He knows how to build relationships. Perhaps too well he marries maybe one too many people, maybe 100, maybe 200, maybe 700. Anyway, let's not go there. But you cannot deny that the guy knows about negotiation. And the fourth and final thing, and we are coming to our end, is that he is trusted with wealth. It is in his generation that the people of God are the most resourced, and this is what he wants you to have. It has not been the razzle-dazzle time of faith in the house of God. And if you have not felt it as easy to access God in the last few months as you would normally have done, I want to say you are right on track because God often withdraws how we normally meet him to get our attention, to make us ask a different set of questions that we might say, okay, God, it is not as easy to find you. It is not feeling as razzle-dazzle in my life. God, I know you're grabbing my eyes for something. What is it you want to give me? And God is saying, I want to give you an anointing with such an authority to build. I want to give you the financial resources and the wisdom and the negotiation skills that you're actually able to take people along with you this time rather than have a bloody mess behind you. And the Lord says, I want to give you the courage to build. And Zechariah 6.13 says this. It's speaking of Joshua, not Joshua Jericho, Joshua priest. And he will be a priest on his throne, priest on a throne, royal priesthood, priest on his throne. a different translation. And there will be harmony between the two. 
And the Lord is saying in that, do you know what? You are going to be able to minister to me with intimacy like you have always done. But I am going to give you such a warfare kingly ability to build wise, resourced anointing. And it is not going to collide with your intimacy. It is not going to undermine your intimacy. There is going to be a harmony between your ability to go deep with me personally in your relationship and the ability to actually get some things done. I think that is a key verse uh, for this season that God is marrying together. So your internal conflicts will go. You will take charge. You will build. You will have authority. You will have intimacy as well. Wisdom will hold you and you will be funded. Please stand. Father, I thank you that we are alive in these days. Father, I thank you that these are the days of great excitement, that these are the days where the church is becoming uh, what she should be. Father, I thank you that it's not the worst of times, but I thank you that it's the best of times. Father, I thank you for the years of frustration that got our attention and made us desperate for something new to come. And so, please open your hands before me. This is really, really important. And so, in the name of Jesus, I loose over you the Solomonic anointing and mantling. That it now, it's like it's, I'm watching the angels in the room and they are going at lightning speed, dropping heavy coats on people of a Solomonic grace. And so we just wait on the ministry of the angels that we read about in Hebrews 1, that they minister to the heirs of salvation. And Father, I thank you that you are dropping a Solomon mantle right now, right now, right now, right now, right now, right now, right now. And Father, I loose the wisdom aspect of it, that these people may know how to navigate like never before. Father, I lose a statesman-like ability in relationships. Father, would you give them right now, and it drops now, negotiation. Not to fall out, but to take people with you. I release right now abundant resourcing. It drops, it drops, it drops, it drops. There, it's yours, it lands. And oh, Father, oh, this is my joy. In the name of Jesus, I loose over this region, over the people of God in this city, the authority to build. In Jesus' name. Amen.